Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The Rhode Island Political Cooperative is mounting a major campaign to bring progressives to state and local offices. The group plans to run up to 50 candidates in the upcoming elections. But not all progressives are on board with their approach. The co-op has been criticized for challenging incumbents with liberal track records and supporting candidates with conservative social media posts. What's going on with this organization? Here to explain is Jennifer Rourke, a co-founder of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. My conversation with Jennifer Rourke after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. Jennifer Rourke is a co-founder of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. She sits on the board of the Women Project and is vice chair of the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus. She lives in Warwick and is a candidate for the state Senate. Jennifer Rourke, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. For folks who don't know, will you explain what the Rhode Island Political Cooperative is? You know, how and why was it created? What are your goals? Okay, so (laughs) we are a group of people that are running together on the same platform. And as someone who ran for office by myself in 2018, I didn't have the knowledge nor the resources to run for office. I went to the party and I asked the party for help and I was told that I was not a part of this and I didn't belong. So I learned everything on my own. And Janine Calkin, Matt Brown, and Melanie DuPont are all my friends. And we just got together and we said, well, if the party can do it, we can do it too. So what we do is provide consulting services, which is like um, your campaign plan, um, your messaging, research. We do all of that stuff, volunteer training, and we get paid a small fee. Well, they pay it to the co-op. I don't get paid to do this. Um, And we are just doing the work. Yeah. Can you clarify what kind of an organization it is? I mean, is it a political party? Is it a PAC? What, what is it? Uh, no and no. And we are not a social club. I know everyone's been saying that lately. We are not a social club. Like we don't do bingo in the basement. We don't do anything like that. <laughs> no so. bingo. 
Um, we are technically a nonprofit corporation, so we have no shareholders. I don't get paid to do this work. Um, neither does Janine, Mel, or Matt. We have a very, very small team that is usually really active during campaign season, but we are technically, by IRS and federal standards, um, a nonprofit corporation. So is it like a consultancy, yes. more or less? And um, what do you say to the questions about transparency, but those who want to see uh, more about where the money is going and what it's paying for? I think when other organizations start releasing their tax documents, I will feel better. I don't think we should be the first one in the state of Rhode Island to do it. No other consulting agency has been asked to release their forms, and it just makes me slightly uncomfortable. And can you describe what kind of candidates the co-op typically gets behind? You know, what's their profile? What are their what are their positions on issues? So everyone agrees to the base platform, which is um, providing everyone with a livable wage, fighting for clean air and clean water, um, making sure that we tax the, the top one percent. And everyone thinks that they are the top one percent, and they're not. So unless you make four hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars, it doesn't apply to you. But it's just we have our basic safe, platform. Yeah, yeah, you're you're good. I am so far from there, so I'm good too. And we look for candidates, but we also have candidates that come to us asking for help. Um, a member of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative, Gina Pham, finished second in a five-way race for a run for the state Senate seat on Providence's east side. So what's the takeaway from that election? You know, the Globe, we said that's going to be an early test for the, for the co-op. How did you do with that test? Um, I think we did very, very well. Um, we were able to mobilize a whole bunch of people to come out on Canvas. There were days where we had over 100 canvassers out. So it was just, it was nice to see. The youngest canvasser was 13, and the oldest, I believe, was 80. So that was, that was fun, and it just shows that we are able to bring the people who are normally ignored to the forefront and give them some leadership. And the people who were canvassing were really, really proud of the work that they'd done. So it was nice to see them stand tall and be proud. Yeah, there were two young progressives in that race, the other being Brett Jacob, and he had support from the Rhode Island Working Families Party. And their numbers far surpassed those combined of Sam Zurier, who won. Didn't dividing forces hurt the progressive uh, cause in that case? We have a tendency not to work with Working Families Party, it would be nice if we could come together, but we had no idea that Brett was going to enter the race until a week and a half later. So it would have been nice if, you know, when Gina did announce, if WFP did reach out or if we were able to, to have some sort of contact with them. It just didn't happen. Yeah, looking ahead to 2022, how do you make sure that this division doesn't hurt your chances of electing a progressive governor? So I am not in some sort of progressive civil war. I am not in war with anyone. Um, if they're going to fight, that's between them and themselves. I am not in battle with anyone. I would just hope that people would support people based on their platform and what they're really fighting for and not because there's a title in front of their name. For me, the person that aligns the most with me is Matt. Um, I believe in what he stands for. Him and I are actually friends outside of this whole political scene. Um, him and my husband are really good friends. Uh, <laughs> they have this weird love for the Beatles. For the Beatles? For the Beatles. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, <laughs> but um, it would just be nice if people, instead of looking at the person's name, they look at what the person is fighting for and support that person based on that. After the co-op's initial announcement, there was some criticism, and you tweeted, boy, are the faux-gressives upset today. So it's, you're saying it's not a civil war, but who are you talking well, about with the faux-gressives? <laughs> I received a lot of nasty personal attacks 
lots of messages. I was told that as a black woman, I was too stupid to see that Matt was using me. Um, wow, who said that? Um, some people from the other camp. Huh. Um, that I was uneducated and I was uh, uneducated or excuse me, I wasn't educated enough to know that I was being used and that I was also uneducated enough or not educated enough to know what I was doing. So there was just a lot of nastiness that was directed towards me on a personal level and not on the policy level. If you want to attack me on policy, that's fine. But to attack me on my education and the fact that I am a black woman, it's just, it was unnecessary. So I was told I needed to be corralled and contained. So wow. it was it was hurtful. It was very hurtful. So. Go back to Gina Pham. What's what's next for her? I know after the election, they said you have not heard the, the co-op said we you have not heard the last of Gina Pham. What's next for her? Is she going to challenge House Majority Leader Christopher Blazajewski? I right don't there know. The, I don't uh, know where that came from. I saw that in the, and somebody tweeted that out, and I was like, oh, that's news to me. But we'll see. is that a possibility? I don't think so. No, I think there's other people who are looking for that C, and he's not a target of mine. Any anyone you want to announce today? Oh God, no. And <laughs> what do you see? What do you see her running for then? What is who? I'm sorry. Uh, Gina Pham. I think she's going to stick with the, the Senate seat. Keep going. Yeah, because yeah. that's only to point out a special election. Sam Zuri is elected in, for one year yes. for, to fulfill this term. He's got to run for re-election. Yes. Two of the candidates who were originally part of the co-op had posts on social media that didn't seem to align with the co-op's uh, stated values. Both shared posts opposing vaccine mandates. One shared a message opposing support for refugees. In response to uh, those two candidates, the co-op said they were looking at the vetting process. I mean, w was the vetting process not where it should have been? Um, I think that was just something that was missed. People have gone back years and looking through someone's Facebook from 2021 going back until whenever they first started is a lot of work. And those three posts for Jennifer were missed. And it's a sad situation. So, Jennifer Jackson was challenging Senator Dawn Oyer, Democrat from Newport, who was the sponsor of the Act on Climate. Critics of the co-op have been saying, why are they, run why are they challenging Democrats who have sponsored uh, progressive legislation such as that. What was the rationale behind backing a challenger to Dawn Oyer? Sometimes it's not enough. We are at a point where we can't just take these incremental steps. It's time to make some serious change. And Act on Climate was a start, but we have a lot more work to do. That should have been done years ago. And, but the co-op's also challenging Representative Karen Elzate, a Pawtucket Democrat, head of the Rhode Island Legislative Black and Latino Caucus, who was the sponsor of the bill to tax the rich. Why challenge her? In a primary. That bill was actually slightly watered down. We were pushing for, I think it's 12%. It's called democracy. Like, we can't help. We're not allowed to be the gatekeepers. If people want to run for office and they're looking for help, we're going to help them. But there's other things. Like, you have to think about people's past voting history. Have people stood up to leadership and said, this is wrong? It encompasses everything the person has done in the past, not just one particular legislation. We need to fight for multiple things because everything is intersectional. So if someone says, hey, I really want to run for office, we look at someone's voting history to see what they've done and what they haven't done and what they're pushing for. Your lieutenant governor candidate, Senator Cynthia Mendes, has faced criticism for sharing anti-abortion Facebook posts in 2014 and 2015. She now supports abortion rights, but critics say it's hypocritical to run people like that while challenging incumbents as not progressive enough. What do you say to that? Um, I say people can grow. Um, if you knew Cynthia, you knew how she was brought up by her family. Her father was a pastor of a church. And I think it's also a cultural thing. As a Spanish woman, we have 
a tendency to listen to our families, especially the patriarch of our family. Um, but she had those conversations, those very difficult conversations that our legislators are not having. And she learned and she's grown as a person. We criticize people who are Democrats and they say they're pro they're pro life. You can't say you're a Democrat and support the platform when in the platform it says that you support choice. So yes, those people will be criticized for their stance. But Cynthia has grown as a person, and I stand behind her 100%. The co-op often men- mentions in its messaging the word corrupt, that the, the current leadership or the political organization is corrupt. Now, as Rhode Islanders, we know we think of corrupt as like a envelope of cash down at Providence City Hall or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? Do you have evidence of that, or is it <laughs> something else? Um, I would hope that no one walked into the office and said, here's, you know, $75,000. No, it's the fact that the legislation that is needed is sitting there and that the bills that these lobbyists, these corporate lobbyists want, they're getting pushed through quickly. We had to fight for years, for years to get the doula reimbursement bill. And I, you can't tell me that you're supporting intersectional legislation when you can't even get a bill passed to reimburse doulas $850. You can't say that you actually really support the people when you can't even pass that bill, where we have to come and we have to tell our stories, especially as black women, that we almost died giving birth in order to get a bill passed. You can't tell me that you are actually supporting the people when you sit on the committee and you say, how does this affect the insurance company? You don't, that means to me that you don't give a damn about the people that are dying when they're giving birth. So yes, that is corrupt to me. Yeah, how do you achieve the more ambitious goals that you're talking about without working with the current leadership? I mean, are you banking on changing the governing majority? Uh, That would be great. (laughs) That would be fantastic. But we saw in 2020 where we were running on a, a very progressive platform where we were pushing for the $15 minimum wage. And leadership came out and said they were going to do this, like they're going to make it happen. Um, We've been fighting for the legalization of cannabis. I myself have been working on this with Maggie Kane um, since 2018. And they brought it up, like they finally actually did something. And it would be nice if they actually passed the legislation that we need as a society to make us better. So I think if a little bit of, you know, competition at the ballot box will push them forward, then so be it. Jennifer Rock, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hate doing interviews, but I appreciate this. So, To learn more about the Rhode Island Political Cooperative, check out my ongoing coverage in Globe, Rhode Island. Here are a few other stories to check out this week. Looking for scary ways to celebrate Halloween? My colleague Carlos Munoz has the rundown of events through the rest of the month. Know a teenager with ADHD? Researchers at Bradley Hospital are recruiting participants for a clinical trial that uses brain stimulation to improve their symptoms. Alexa Gagas has the details. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week.
Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.